Welcome back to Community-Based Pharmacy Practice. This week the in the course, we're gonna be focusing on discussing patient care services and patient care service-related billing and reimbursement. I'm excited today to welcome Tara Green. Tara is an ambulatory care pharmacy manager with Comprehensive Pharmacy Services at Memorial Health. Tara, thanks for joining us. Hi, Dana, thanks for having me today. Awesome. Before we get started and drive or dive into all of the questions that I have for you, I want to get to know a little bit more about you and your background and your current position. So tell me about you and um, what you do at Memorial. Sure. So I'll tell you a little bit about my background and my path, how I got to be where I am right now. Um, so um, I first received my bachelor's in pharmacy back at Ohio Northern. Um, and then went on to do my PharmD at the University of Toledo. Um, after that, I did a community practice residency with Ohio State and Kroger. And I was with Kroger after my residency for 18 years. Um, and my role there um, was a lot of different things over my time. But um, my main function was to create and implement and advance clinical services for Kroger. Um, currently, I am, as Dana said, with um, CPS, and I work at Memorial Health and Memorial Hospital in Marysville, Ohio. And I came here about two years ago um, to really kind of follow my passion in AmCare and continue to advance that. So um, in my role here as the AmCare manager, um, I oversee and grow our outpatient pharmacy um, clinical services, both at the hospital as well as in our um, primary care offices that Memorial owns and operates. Great, yeah, you're doing so many cool things at Memorial and in the ambulatory care space. And so I was really excited that you agreed to join us today and, and talk about those things because I feel like they really touch on what we're trying to um, teach, especially in this week. So tell me a little bit more about Memorial Health and some of the patient care services that are offered at your site. Sure, so currently in my role, I oversee three different practice sites. Um, first is our medication therapy center, and that is an ambulatory clinic that is here on the main campus of the hospital. Um, and we provide disease state management services there at the clinic. So this includes anticoag, diabetes, um, COPD, CHF, um, general MTM, as well as a transitions of care clinic. Um, so our pharmacist there, um, practice under collaborative practice agreements with our overseeing physicians. Um, but we also have kind of a unique aspect that we do have a nurse practitioner on our team there um, who also collaborates with us um, on many of our disease management services. So that's our first practice environment. Um, and again, remember this, this will come into play as we talk more about billing, but that's here at the hospital. Um, the other two sites that I have are actually primary care physician offices um, at Memorial. One is here in Marysville. The other is about 30 minutes away in a town called Urbana, Ohio. And there we have a clinical pharmacist from our team that's embedded into the primary care office, working side by side with the providers there. Um, their primary focus areas right now are diabetes, hypertension, general MTM, um, they do a little bit of COAG as well. Um, 
and we continue to work with those offices to see what their needs are as as we grow there as well. That is awesome. There's so many, um, like I said, cool things that you guys are doing and um, I'm excited to hear more about the billing aspect, like you mentioned and how that all works. Um, but before we get into that, so one of the projects that the students have to complete is the justification of a community-based pharmacist position. Um, and I think some of that goes into coming up with an idea for that project. And so I just wanted to pick your brain about um, kind of the, the general thought process that you have when thinking about a new service to implement or potentially a new position to justify. What's your thought process with that? Sure. Um, so I love doing new innovative things, but probably the most important concept is to make sure that your new idea is something that's needed. So um, when I'm looking to see, you know, what's our next step? How can we grow? What more can we do? Um, I, I look at the needs of our patients um, here in our area, um, looking at our providers that we work with in the area and what their needs are, where we can help support them. Um, look at the needs of the hospital overall. Um, and then just the community kind of what, what's lacking, where are there gaps that we might be able to potentially fill. Um, and in all my history of doing new services, um, I find that, you know, if there's not a need, you might have the greatest idea for a service ever, but it's probably not gonna take off if there's not a need out there to, to fill. Um, the other thing that, um, you know, it's either gotta be an unmet need or something that's gonna enhance what you already have. So if you have a great core um, service maybe happening within your organization, but there's a way that you can help take that to another level um, as a pharmacist uh, through collaboration, then I think that's another great way to look at it. Maybe it doesn't have to be something completely new, but how can you improve upon something that's already in existence? Um, the last thing is I always wanna make sure that we would be able to show that this new service or this new position adds value. Now that can be pure financial value through revenue um, or how can we improve outcomes um, for our patients, for our organization. And so making sure that we hit those um, concepts as well, that we're gonna be able to show that there's value to this. Yeah, so you said just making sure there's a need, looking at the value, enhancing what you have, and I think the students will continue to hear those as common themes throughout, especially when we get to the latter half of the course, when they hear from some um, practice spotlights about different practices and community-based practice. Um, I think those are some things that um, are definitely needed to take into consideration when planning or thinking of a new idea. Um, and, and so you mentioned something like looking at the revenue value in that last thing too. So in, in the value add, um, and that kind of goes into the next question um, about how the pharmacists are able to actually bill or potentially get reimbursed for services that they're providing at the clinics. And it sounds like there might be a little bit of a difference between what you do at the MTM center versus what your primary care pharmacists are doing in those primary care office. So tell me a little bit more about that. Sure, so you're exactly right. Um, because we have two very different models, um, our billing looks completely different in those two settings. Um, and so I wanted to give 
the, the students a little taste of, of those differences so they can see some different um, options out there in AmCare. Um, so in the medication therapy center, which again is, is the one here at the hospital, um, the pharmacists here bill through facility fee billing. So because we are part of the hospital, um, we meet all of the criteria to be able to do facility fee billing through the hospital itself. Um, for our pharmacists that are out in our primary care provider offices, um, facility fee billing is not an option there. Um, and so the way the pharmacist bill there is through um, professional fee billing using um, E&M or evaluation and management codes. So they bill um, in a more similar way to other providers in service. Although as pharmacists, we currently still have some restrictions there, but I'll maybe touch on that a little bit later if we have time. Um, so um, in the offices, we bill those professional fees, but we are billing incident to the physicians currently. Um, now, if things continue to change with provider status, we may be able to change that model and bill as independent providers rather than billing incident to the physicians. But currently, we're using that incident to model. Um, the other thing is, you know, we have been involved in a pilot project um, where we have a direct contract with a third party insurance plan where the pharmacist is billing as an independent provider. Um, and so we're not using that incident to model. It's a pilot. Um, to me, that's kind of exciting. I hope that um, more of that continues to expand with more payers in the future because it would allow the pharmacist to bill at a higher level, um, which means more revenue being brought in versus our current restrictions. Um, we are only allowed to bill at a very low level of service um, because of the provider status. So facility fee for our hospital campus site and then um, the professional fee billing incident to out in the office setting. Great. Um, and you said a couple of things too. I think we'll, I think that when we get to some of the discussions in one of the last weeks with um, some of the leaders in pharmacy, um, we have a chance to hear from APHA CEO. And that's one of the things that he talks about too, is um, really about that provider status and more getting more opportunities for billing. So sounds like you are set up very nicely to take advantage of those opportunities um, in your primary care clinics um, once that happens. If that does happen, do you think that would change the way that your MTM center would run too if pharmacists are able to bill for services? Um, I, it, it might allow us to bill a higher level through the facility fee, um, but I don't think it will have quite as much of an impact necessarily there as it will out in the physician practices. Um, but I do think it could open some doors for us to bill um, at, a, at a higher level through the hospital um, and or um, bill um, differently independently versus billing yeah. as a collaborative visit with the nurse practitioner. Yeah, so it sounds like right now there are billing opportunities, but those could be expanded in the future depending how provider status and the pilot programs um, in Ohio go. So that's really exciting and, and thank you for sharing that. I feel like that takes um, some of the practical sense for the students to see 
how pharmacists are in the clinics and in like the hospital working and billing for those services. Uh, so like I mentioned a, a little bit ago, one of their projects is to um, justify a new service. And so I wanted to pick your brain about a specific service that you have implemented and kind of get into the nitty gritty details of all the steps that you thought of from, you know, the initial idea to getting the position approved. So tell me about a position that you worked on um, that you've had to develop from the start or maybe enhance. Um, what does that position look like and kind of how did you come up with that idea? Sure. So. Um... Probably the biggest thing as far as new positions go that I've worked on since I've been here at Memorial is expanding the pharmacist presence in our primary care offices. Um, so when I came here, there was one pharmacist in our first primary care office, um, and that was still relatively young in its um, development. So the position was there, but there was a lot of potential to mold it and, and grow it. Um, the ultimate goal is for us to have a pharmacist presence in all of our PCP clinics across Memorial as an organization. Um, so I've been able to grow that first position and be able to take that information to justify getting a second pharmacist in a second office. And so I think that, um, that's probably the the example that I would focus on at this point is how we were able to sort of use that first position to um, show that this works and we want to continue expand and justify adding more folks to our team. So tell me about, um, I, you kind of touched on it a little bit there, but what was the need for the second position? You touched on that when you talked about, you know, general justification or thinking of a new idea. So how did you come up with that idea um, and thought process for that expansion of, of that position? Sure. So um, I think I've always had in my mind that ultimately I want to get a pharmacist in every office. And so keeping that as the, the long term vision, um, you know, how um, we were very strategic in that first office we went into um, collecting data, look at the outcomes, look at the financials, um, get feedback from the providers and the office managers and the support staff about the value of having a pharmacist on their team and being able to use that data to go back to our leadership to say, hey, this really works, here's the value of it. We want to continue to offer this in, in additional offices. And so we were able to secure approval for the second um, office to happen to kind of expand that model. And it sounds like you said there, um, so the, the vision is good to have. Where do you want to go? And I would agree it would be awesome to have pharmacists in every primary care office. Um, and I think that's where we're headed, hopefully. Um, but you also talked about data and feedback and, you know, getting physician support. Um, so are those some of the things that you helped use to justify that position when going to the administration and leadership? Yes, absolutely. Um, so um, we um, so while pharmacists are able to bill in the offices, as I mentioned, they can they're kind of capped at billing at a pretty low level. And so I knew that um, we weren't going to be able to just look at the revenues that the pharmacist was bringing in. Um, you know, our average length of a 
a visit for a diabetes patient or a hypertension patient, particularly diabetes, they're, they're lengthy visits. And so um, it's, it's really hard in the current billing environment to completely be able to justify a pharmacist position just based on the revenue that they're bringing in. So um, I was able to take that information because we are bringing revenue into the practice, um, but um, we really wanted to be able to incorporate those outcomes. So what else are we bringing to the table? What's the big picture as to the value of having this pharmacist on the team? Um, so a couple of examples that we were able to use, um, we've shown significant changes in A1C for our patients that um, see our pharmacist for diabetes management. Um, our average reduction in A1C is 2% um, for patients that come to us. Um, another metric that our um, offices are judged on is the number of patients in their practice that have an A1C over nine. And um, so we've been able to make a significant impact in lowering that percent of patients that have an A1C over nine. And so um, that, that's a HEDIS measure, um, uh, you know, a quality measure, the office is judged on that. And more and more payers in the pay for performance world of healthcare, as we move more and more to that, um, it can impact reimbursement to the practice as well, or incentive payments to the practice if they hit certain metrics. And so we've really been able to show an impact there. We've been able to show improvements in blood pressure. That's another big metric that our practices are judged on. We've been able to show that we keep people out of the emergency room. We keep people out of the hospital. That's another metric that the offices are judged on. So um, by being able to show those quality metrics um, with our COAG service, um, we have significantly improved probably by 20 percentage points, um, the time and therapeutic range for our COAG patients. Wow. Um, and so that data, that quality data, how we impacted metrics to help patients, but also help the practice overall, um, I think was really significant. Um, and you really have to put that together with the financial piece, I think, to make it a big picture kind of um, presentation to your leadership. Um, yeah. Um, it, it sounds like you said, like, there's the revenue reimbursement piece, but that's actually sounds like a, a smaller piece of the puzzle than actually looking at the quality data and the value add that pharmacists can have um, in the clinic and in that space. Uh, the other thing I've seen in my practice is, and so I'm wondering if you see it in yours as well, but the relationships and having a physician champion on board has really helped um, expand services in the hospital where I work. Have you seen that same thing at Memorial? Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, I was going to touch on that a little later, so that's a great question. Um, I think having a champion, an advocate in your corner um, from a leadership standpoint, but from a physician standpoint. Um, when we went into our first office, I don't know if we had as much of a champion but after we formed those relationships in the first office, um, the physicians and the PAs really love having a pharmacist on their team. Um, and so by the time we got ready to go into our second office, 
the lead physician there was actually coming to me asking, when am I going to get a pharmacist in my office? Like, I want to have somebody on my team. When is that going to happen? Like, you told us that might happen in the future. When is that going to happen? So, and when we put a pharmacist in the office there, I mean, it just took off, like, almost instantaneously. Um, and now we have other offices coming to us saying, hey, we want to be next. We want to get the next pharmacist. So, I think um, that... Um, news amongst peers, physician to mm -hmm. physician, and and really having some champions out there saying, "I love having a pharmacist pharmacist in my office. It's great." Um, yeah. So that that's definitely a great thing if you can identify a champion, it will go a long way. Yeah, I I agree with that as well. And even getting some nurse practitioners and things on board. You said you have that in your um, MTM center. So any support you can get from other, I think, healthcare practitioners or providers is really critical um, because that goes a long way, I feel. And like you mentioned, with your administration um, and leadership as well, because um, if the physicians are asking for it, it must be something, you know, that is beneficial and can really have an impact on, on patient care. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so finishing up with this position and this question, um, what are some of the steps, I guess, that you had to take kind of from like point A to point B to get the position approved and get that pharmacist um, in in the primary care clinic? We kind of talked about identifying the need um, and maybe the end point of seeking approval from administration. Was there anything in between that you had to do to get that pharmacist in the primary care office? Um, definitely putting together the data. Um, you know, wanted to have a real solid case. Um, our um, VP that we report up to for pharmacy that is ultimately, you know, um, making these decisions about whether we can hire additional staff or not. Um, as I got to know him more and what he likes to see, he's a numbers guy. So being able to show him numbers, um, but also showing him some of the warm and fuzzy stuff, like the physicians really like it, the patients really like it. Um, and just being able to put that all into a, a package to present to him. Um, I think the other thing is I've also gotten to know the office managers in all of our primary care offices. And um, that's also really helped be able to facilitate things. I've been able to get to know the offices, what their patient population looks like, what their volumes look like. Um, to be able to say, we've identified this need in this office and we think a pharmacist would be a great fit for this reason. Um, so the second office that we selected um, is a high volume office, but they also have a lot of older patients where we can have a really significant impact with MTM. Um, and um, big diabetes population, which is pretty common, um, and providers that are looking for more help with their diabetes patients. And so um, we were able to say like, hey, here are some specific needs we've talked with this team about that we know the pharmacist can help with. Yeah, so a lot of key stakeholders there that you mentioned, you know, not only do you have to get physician support, administration support, but building relationships with office managers and other people in the clinic has has really been helpful. And um, 
I think that's a, a key thing. And I feel like a lot of the things that we're kind of like circling around is relationship building is a, is a key component. Um, I'm sure when you started, you know, two years ago, no one was ready to jump on in and, you know, trust you to build these services. I mean, they were able to trust you for these services, but the more and more you've gained more trust and, and built more relationships. And now they're really ready to kind of let you um, bring ideas forward and, and have some, I guess, data behind those and the other supporters or key stakeholders to um, yeah. help support the position. Yeah, we're, we, we've gotten to the point now where sometimes the office managers and um, we have a CPC plus committee for all of our offices that participate in that um, quality program. And um, I sit on their committee and they, they're bringing ideas to us like, hey, you know, we really wanna do better in this area. Um, you know, what could the pharmacist do in this space to help us? So we're looking at Medicare annual wellness visits right now and whether that's a potential role for the pharmacist to support in the office. Um, or, hey, you know, we have this really high risk group of patients that our care coordinators are working with. We really wanna get the pharmacist involved with um, working with the care coordinators directly um, on those high utilizer patients. Um, so I, that's been really exciting to see them coming to us with ideas now too, like, hey, what about this? Like, what could we mm -hmm. do here? How could you guys help here? So I think that um, to see the relationship come to that point has, has been really exciting. Yeah, um, and kind of the final piece to this puzzle or question, and you talked about um, the justification or the ask to administration, and you talked a little bit about knowing what the administration wants to see, but also having the data to help support um, and also just the personnel support from other departments. Is there any other tips or tricks or things you would, um, you know, think about when preparing a presentation or the ask to administration that would be important to share with uh, the students in this course? Um, sure, so I think that, um, I think I mentioned this before, but really making sure you're presenting the whole picture. Um, and that you're really incorporating those outcomes and the quality piece of it. Um, also time savings to the providers and how you can support um, that as well so that the providers can be freed up to do um, other things as well. Um, I think um, making sure you look at provider satisfaction um, if you have that data to look at patient satisfaction. And you know, if this is the first position you're doing like this, you don't have your own data yet and that's okay. There is a lot of great information out there in the literature from similar models, everything from provider satisfaction of having a pharmacist on their team um, to patient outcomes to um, financial impact to a practice. And so dive into the literature, um, talk to other um, folks out there, do some networking, make sure you're part of pharmacy organizations where you can help um, learn from their experiences out there too, because you're gonna have to pull from the literature if you haven't started just yet to give them like, this is what's been done elsewhere. This is how we can do it here. Yeah, um, and that goes into the next question too, is what are some resources or things that um, the students could go back to to help look up more um, things about billing or ways to justify services. I know you said professional organizations and I feel like some of the major journals um, in pharmacy. Is there any other resources or 
specific items that you would recommend to learn more about billing opportunities or just justification of services in general? Sure. Um, so trying to think if there's a specific item off the top of my head. I feel like I've done so much reading and I'm still learning. Um, most recently it was learning about telehealth and how those yeah. opportunities. So you're always continually learning and looking at those new opportunities as things change. Um, uh, as I said, there is a lot of good stuff out there in the literature. If, if you go out and search, um, I've learned a lot through professional organizations. Um, for me, particularly OPA and APHA tend to be my go-tos. Um, I have done ASHP as well in their AMCARE um, sectors, um, and they also have a lot of great resources. Um, there are some billing guides out there through those organizations and white papers and things that, that you can really kind of start to get um, some base knowledge and, and facts to start working with. Um, and then um, presentations, webinars from those groups and other experts out there in the field. Um, go to conferences, do webinars. I think you can learn a lot from someone who's kind of been down that path and is sharing their experience through a presentation with you as well. Yeah, lots and lots of great resources out there. Um, I found a lot of those too. And like you said, I always feel like I'm learning or, you know, my the pharmacists who we lead are learning and they're teaching us. And um, so I feel like the resources are out there. And as leaders, it's, it's really their job and, and things to continue learning and to find those resources and bring them back. Um, and so you said, you know, through the literature, through organizations, webinars, but I feel like also to networking, like you mentioned too. Um, I've been telling the students, I've reached out to Taryn many times when trying to implement a new service um, and just having a conversation with colleagues that are doing the same thing or doing things that, um, you want to do in your practice as well. Yeah, the other thing I would say that I've definitely learned over the years is, you know, don't limit yourself just to pharmacy information and pharmacy yeah. literature. Um, I've had to learn a lot about how do you speak the language that insurance companies speak? How do you speak the language that an office manager speaks? Um, as far as, you know, when I started, I didn't know what a HEDIS quality measure was. That's not really something that I learned in pharmacy, but those are really big, important things when you're looking at quality measures and reimbursement. And um, I didn't know what the CPC plus program was. So make sure you're also um, <clears throat> learning and diving into, um, you know, Medicare billing regulations and looking at, um, again, just how to speak the language and like here at our practice, we have really morphed our um, quality measures that we look at to align with what the practices are also using. So rather than creating our own things that we think are valuable to measure, um, all of our measures are also things that the practices and the hospital also look at as quality measures. So we can very easily um, show our um, alignment with things that they already look at. Yeah, so aligning, like you said, with what they're looking at, that's that's huge. And I'm sure as we move further into provider status and things like that, that's gonna get even more apparent as to what insurance companies are looking at for pharmacists and what um, how pharmacists can contribute to some of those uh, CPC plus measures and, and that type of stuff as well. 
Uh, so thank you for sharing all those resources. There, there really is a lot out there and just got to go find it and find the people who are doing it and pick their brain like we're doing today. <laughs> uh, so really my last question for you um, is, you know, what advice do you have for a new pharmacy leader or a resident that is going to go out and look to justify a service? Um, they're the point of the project is for them to really look at something that's going to be um, practical. Maybe it might it might not get implemented at their practice site, but something that has a great possibility to be implemented in the future. Um, and then as pharmacy leaders after the program, they're going to be going out and justifying new services, whether it's in an acute care or in an ambulatory care setting. So in general, what advice do you have for the students on justification um, of a new service? Sure, so I know I mentioned this a couple of times, so it's definitely a big uh, key point. Make sure you're presenting the whole picture. Like, I cannot say that enough. Um, the other advice I would have, though, is um, make sure you know who your stakeholders are um, across the board, whether it's your pharmacy leadership, your upper leadership, um, you know, upper management at your organization, um, who your partners are going to be at the practice site, um, know who each of those stakeholders are and be able to talk about what's in it for them. What are the benefits for each of those stakeholders by agreeing to do this project or fund this position? Um, and so that's something that I think I've learned a lot about over the years too very early on it was kind of like well what's in it for pharmacy um but if you can find each stakeholder in in the picture and be able to talk about what's in it for them why this is a good thing um that really goes a long way as well um the last thing i know we talked about this a little bit too is find a champion um if you can identify a champion or more than one champion out there um that's really going to help um support you and be able to advocate on your behalf within your organization. Um, that's just, that's extremely valuable if, if you have some other folks in your corner that can um, um, speak on your behalf and say, yeah, this is a really good thing. We want this to happen. Thank you for sharing that advice. I, I think that the students will continue to hear those themes. You said you said it a couple times. I think they're going to continue to hear that um, throughout the rest of the course and especially in some of the practice spotlights with um, other experts um, in pharmacy who are doing um, unique services and community based practices. So thank you for sharing all of that. Is there anything else that we didn't touch on or that you want to share with the students? I think the only other final thought I would say is don't be discouraged if it doesn't go exactly the way you thought. Um, I have learned more in my career from things that didn't go exactly as planned um, or that maybe didn't get approved right off the bat. Um, that um, I definitely learned more from those situations than sometimes the ones that do go well and every project i've ever done in my career there are always some bumps along the way and so continue to be flexible um, and be willing to adapt as you move through the process of starting a new position or a new service um, and you'll ultimately get to where you want to go but i guarantee there will be some bumps along the path and and that's okay you just have to be able to 
keep working through those to get to where you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. That was um, a great final thought. Thought. So thank you for sharing. Um, and that is all the questions I have. Um, so thank you, Tara, so much for joining us today. Um, I feel like you've really given the students um, the real life practical application um, of of justification of services, but also the reality that um, I think a lot of times we think about the hard dollars and the revenue, but when we're working in an ambulatory care community-based setting, that that's not the whole picture. So we really have to look at the whole picture and the other pieces to the puzzle um, that are there to, to justify those services. So thank you so, so much for joining us today. Um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely.